All right. Uh, good morning, Red City Church. My name is Brett, and I am on the leadership team here at Red City Church. And I've got to grab my clicker this week, too. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a, just a little about me. I'm a software guy by day. I live with my family just down the street, actually just a few blocks away from here. Um, I just want to say welcome. Welcome back from Thanksgiving. Uh, if you're joining us online uh, and if you're new with us, uh, we're just really glad to have you guys. So with our normal uh, preaching pastors, Joel and Julie, uh, being out, actually in and out, I think at the same time right here, um, they gave, basically gave me a blank canvas. And so we just wrapped up our Kingdom series last week. Uh, we're going to Advent next week. And essentially, uh, so, and sorry, there's going to be no Klein Snodgrass references, uh, just because <laughs> we're out of the, out of the Kingdom series here. Um, but basically, I just want to take this as a chance to unpack something that I have been thinking through and working through these last few years. And uh, what I see is just one of the greatest needs, both for the world uh, and the church. And that's like the big church, but also here at Res City. And so if I had to throw a title on this message I would call it the functional centrality of the gospel and the end of willpower Christianity. And uh, if, you, if you guys are okay, I'd just like to hop right in. Uh, I got three Ps just to kind of give you a heads up where we're going here. I had to stretch a little bit for one of the Ps, but uh, we got the problem, we got the pretend solution, uh, and then, but I did get a double P on the end. There's the potent prescription. So the problem, the solution, and the prescription. So what do I mean by willpower Christianity? Well, I'd have to go back a few years. Um, uh, I'd say a few years ago, I was in a tough season personally. Uh, I think, well, actually, if you go back a few years, the world was kind of in a, in a tough season. Um, and I would call it the tale of two different me's, right? On the outside, I was, I was in the pew, just like you guys are watching online. Um, I was doing everything that, you know, I was heavily involved in church. I was trying to do good in my community. And I was doing all the things outside that I had always done since I became a Christian. However, on the inside, I was best described as running on empty. My outer life had, still had all the momentum that it once had. But uh, in contrast, my spiritual life, I felt like was sort of apathetic. I mean, I could do all the things. But to want to, like, love my neighbor, love God, to, um, the, you know, the peace and the joy that we read about in this book we call the Bible was just kind of a foreign concept to me. Uh, I think I was kind of on the slow track to maybe like a burnout, I guess, would be the, the, the current uh, word for it. And I think we've seen a lot of this in the world, right? Uh, these last few years, both in the world and even in the church, uh, you can probably think of some stories. Uh, I had a friend who put it this way. She said, I think I could keep doing this. I think I could keep, you know, showing up um, for maybe a few more years. But after that, like, I don't know. Like, there's an aspect to where this is not sustainable. And so I would just ask, what about... You. Do you know anyone who's, who's in this situation? Do you know um, anyone, yeah, who's like gone through it or is going through it? Are you going through it? Or, I, I mean, even in a room of, of this size, have you been here? Have you been here for weeks or a few months or maybe even a few years and you just sort of resigned yourself to the idea that maybe this is all there is, right? We just do the things, we do the outward things, but inside we just we kind of 
wither. <laughs> it sounds dramatic, but that's kind of where I was at. And I wonder if there's anyone else who needs to hear that message. And if there is, then this, this sermon is, is for you. The problem, put as a question, is what do we do? What do we do with a heart that's running on fumes? How do you not just keep doing the right things, right things, uh, but keep our hearts wanting to do the right things? If, like Joel said last week, actions flow out of attitude, how do we, what do we do when our attitude isn't there, right? How do we, how do we work on that? I think we default, I think if we don't think about it, I think we default to some what I call the pretend solutions, some strategies to try to fill an empty gas tank inside of our, ourselves, basically. Uh, kind of starting from the, the lower right there, I think both outside the church, but also inside the church. I wonder if we turn to the, you know, what's loosely called the, the world, right? I mean, and this is like good things, right? This is family, you know, money, you know, friends. Uh, it could be sex or travel or all these great things, but we just ask them to do something that they were never meant to do, which is fill, fill our souls. For the, the achievers among us, for the, the really competent people who get things done, I think there's, there's a Coach Denzel up there. And what I mean by Coach Denzel is, like, I can fix this. Self-improvement, right? I think we can turn spirituality into self-improvement, right? Just a little more technique, just a little more effort, maybe just like 10% effort, and you can, you can get there, right? Like, you can fix it. I'm not knocking, uh, you know, a good Bible reading plan or anything like that. Just the idea that we ourselves can fix the problem of the empty heart. Uh, I, does anyone do this one? I, I call it shooting, shooting all over yourself. <laughs> Listen carefully. I just said shooting, shooting all over yourself. It's just this constant inner monologue, right? If you've been around the church for a while or you're just a thoughtful person who kind of has an idea of what a good person should do, this becomes the inner monologue, right? Oh, I should do this. I should feel this. I should sign up for this. Or there's, you, can just, you can just ignore it, right? I think in the past this has looked like the, the Minnesotan, right? It's like, uh, you know, the stoic Minnesotan. Just what feelings? What, what, is, what is that? Uh, I think these days... It's just the phone that scrolls by constantly, the ever-running podcast in the background, uh, the busy schedule, pretty much anything that keeps us from actually acknowledging that there's an issue inside that needs to be fixed. If, you're, if you've ever tried these, if you're like me a few years ago, or if you're here right now, let me just say, this is not, this is not Christianity. Um, just outward duty while we shrivel inside, right? How do I know it? Um, I'm just going to skip this one. How do I know it? First John 5. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So I just ask anyone in here, have his commandments become burdensome? And what do you do if they have? If you do have a Bible, you can open up to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be right in the intro today. Uh, and 
really the only context you need for this verse. I might have printed that a little too small for you guys. So you want to actually need a Bible this week? Sorry about that. Um, the only context is just that Paul is writing to a group of people who are trying to follow Jesus. But as we're going to see, they need their tanks filled. They need encouragement. And so let's see how he intends to fill them up. Verse 11, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So just a quick note. Hey, it's okay. It's, it's normal if, you, if your tank is ever running empty. That's true for the Romans. That's true for Paul. That's, that's, part, of, that's part of the deal here as a Christian. But the key is what we put in the empty tank. Check it out. Verse uh, 15. I'm eager to preach a pump-up... Oh, sorry. Uh, That's the wrong one. I'm eager to preach about all the things you ought to be doing to fix your apathetic hearts and clean up your sin. You should know better by now. And the Amplified Version says, stir eyes. (laughs) Right? Actually, okay. This is not Paul's writing. I'm kind of pulling your leg here. And it's silly, but I just wonder how close this is to our inner monologue when we're feeling a little bit empty inside. Or maybe your inner monologue sounds a little something like this. I'm eager to preach a pump-up coaching message on how you've got this and five quick tricks to fixing your Christian life. Self-improvement, right? And it's easy. As we're going to see, we're going to look at a few passages and just like, it's kind of easy to actually to turn your faith into self-improvement. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Check out what he actually says. This is, I'll stop messing with the Bible in a Christian sermon here. This is, this is a real Bible verse. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So notice, Paul did not say, I can't wait to get to Rome so I can get outside and preach the gospel to all the pagans out there and, you know, like Zeus worshipers that would have been around in Rome at the time. Paul was a great evangelist, but that's not what he's saying here. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. He's writing to a Christian church, and that's what the book of Romans is. It's like 10 chapters, more or less, of Paul preaching the gospel to people who already believe it, who already know it, and who have already accepted it. Does that, does that strike anyone as just like strange, like a little weird? Like they, they know the gospel already, right? Um, so why does he do it? Verse 16, because for it, meaning the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God for everyone, in the life of everyone who believes. The gospel doesn't just talk about God's power. It doesn't just remind us of God's power. The gospel is the power of God in the life of those who believe. The, the Greek word for power there is, this is my only uh, uh, academic piece to this sermon, is, is deutimus. It's where we get the word dynamite. And so I just wonder if you are uh, like me, um, are trying to do this really hard thing, which is live a life that's you know, worthy of the, the gospel, without its power in our life. Look at how Paul puts it in Colossians. 
I just want to show you, this is not just the one little text here. This is the New Testament. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So look, look carefully. Um, the gospel goes out in the world, and it bears fruit, and it grows. That's awesome. We know about kind of the history of Christianity, and that's, that's amazing. But look what the gospel also does. It also bears fruit and grows among the, life, among the Christians there. So yes, evangelism, missions, that's amazing. The gospel should go out. That's great. But also, we need to be pushing the gospel in. And what happens when we do it? We bear fruit and we grow. So some of you guys are familiar with this concept. Some of you might not be. I just want to be clear. The gospel is not just the gateway into the Christian life. It's not just the ticket to heaven. But rather, if uh, Paul is correct, and I think he is, the gospel is the, the gas we need daily if we want any sh- shot at doing this thing from the inside out. Any, anyone, any high achiever, any to-do list cruncher can, uh, you know, and they do. You know, like, put on a face, you can sign up for a ministry, and anyone can do that for a while. But in the long run, willpower is not going to help. So here's a, here's a slide we started with. What do we do with a heart that's running on fumes? If Romans and Colossians are right, we need to get the gospel functioning in our lives. Hear me. This is not intellectual agreement with the gospel. This is not when you first accepted the gospel. It was great. Is the gospel functioning in your life? Functioning. So that's what I want to talk about with the rest of my time here. What does it look like for the gospel to function in your life? First, I want to just take, I promise, just one or two slides. I'm going to, what is this word I keep on using? Gospel, right? Um, I want to talk about that. I'll do that quick. And then I want to take a look at what it looks like for the gospel to function in someone's life. Because if Paul's right, that is where the power of God in your life is. That is what bears fruit in the long run. So here's my two slides, guys. What is the gospel? It literally just means good news, right? So it's news. So this is just, this is something that has already happened in the past. You can't live the gospel. It's something that's already happened. And secondly, it's good news. It's, if you walk away feeling like someone just threw some weights on your shoulders, then that probably wasn't the good news. And so what is the good news of Jesus Christ? It's that while God made us and loved us, and while we, uh, from the beginning and up till, you know, two days ago, sin. We sin in little ways. We envy our neighbor. We're, we're discontent with the life God's given us. All the way to big things like wars and the things we read about in the newspaper, right? And despite all that, God has not forgotten us. He has sent his son into human history to, yes, teach and live a good life and give us a good example. But more than that, and probably more importantly for you and me, to take our sin on himself, to die in our place on the cross so that we might get, he got what we deserved so that we might get what he deserved. 
So we get forgiveness. We get love and we get brought into his family. And just like he was raised again, we get to be raised again one day. This is the gospel, a lot of implications, but it's good news. So let me ask you guys a question. What's your relationship with this message? If the gospel, if that message, what I just said, is the key to bearing fruit, experiencing the power of God in your life, what's your relationship with it? Does, is this something that fills you up in the morning, or did your eyes kind of glaze over on that last slide, right? Like, we've heard about it. Or did you think about maybe your, your coworker who needs to hear this message? Here's a controversial statement of the day. Unless you have some kind of, what I, I don't know, for lack of a better word, emotional connection with the gospel, not just intellectual, but emotional, I would say that the gospel may not be functioning in your life. Because we're talking about the heart here. We're trying to fill up the empty heart. So how do we change? How do we change this? If, if, our, if our eyes glaze over when we hear the gospel, right? I want to just talk about, it's, this is like a two-step application, you guys. And the first step is a, it's a non-application. I think some of us just, I wonder if we just need the non-application. I think we just might need to stop, just for a second. Just stop, stop the shitting, stop the self-improvement, stop the willpower Christianity, stop, or maybe stop ignoring the state of our heart. For just a moment, just a moment, stop worrying about all the things that uh, this church or the, the Bible or your own inner self-monologue put on you as things that you ought to do, as a good person should do. And just for a second, marinate. Marinate in what has been done for you. Guys, Christianity is actually not primarily about you. It's not about what you do for God. It's not what, about what you do for the church. Christianity is about what God in Christ has done for you. Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite quotes, he says, You contribute nothing to your salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. That's bad news for our ego, yes. But the good news is that Jesus is the hero of the story. And you don't have to, you can stop trying to be. Because of Jesus, God's lo God loves today's version of you and not just a future cleaned up, more involved version of you. Yes, God loves when you avoid sin, when you read your Bible, when you come to community group, when you do all the things you know you should do in your neighborhood. And the crazy thing is, God loves you when you don't do, do any of that. He loves you when you're on fire for him, when you're burning with passion for his kingdom, and all the things we've talked about these last few weeks of what the kingdom looks like. And the crazy thing is, God loves you when you're not. The great irony is that unless, until you've come to a place where you are in awe of this one-way love of God for sinners, you're not really, I mean, that's what is necessary to get into a good place to actually serve others from a full heart without asking for anything in return, from them or from God. It's easy on a Sunday morning. 
to marinate in the gospel. Uh, usually it's easy on a Sunday morning to marinate in the gospel. What do you do when you leave? What do you do on Tuesday morning, right? Just a heads up, many, many books are actually, I feel like are some sort of Christianity with uh, a Christian mask on self-improvement. But there are a lot of good resources. This is, these are just a few. There's a gospel primer by Milton Vincent. It's just this little booklet on preaching the gospel to yourself and applying it to your life. Uh, the Ragamuffin Gospel, that's like one of my favorite. It just pushes grace from your head down to your heart. And for the whole family, uh, thoughts to make your heart sing. This girl named Sally Lowe-Jones wrote it. It's like half a page. We, we read it at breakfast with our kids. It takes 25 seconds. And it gets us into a different mode, right? The default mode is to should and to do all the things that we know leave us empty in the end. And what happens when we do this? All right, I'm going to flip the, flip the metaphor on you guys a little bit, so just hang with me. When we marinate in the gospel, when we do all these different things, the gospel becomes a flywheel. Does anyone, anyone know what, what this is? I knew Thomas would. I didn't know you would. Okay, that's great. Um, I know a little bit about a flywheel. Very big in the, in the 19th century. I think they're still active in cars. Um, but as I understand it, how it works is there's this huge, it's just this huge heavy metal piece of machinery. It's this big wheel. It's a flywheel. And the idea is that you can apply some fuel, which starts pushing it, and right away, almost nothing happens. It's, there's almost no discernible difference, right? But if you keep pushing, if you keep applying the fuel, the flywheel starts going slowly, and it starts getting a little faster, and a little faster, and if you keep pushing, it basically becomes this huge, powerful wheel that is almost impossible to stop, right? And so what's the purpose of the flywheel? The purpose is not just to get it going around and around, but the purpose is that you can now connect these smaller machines that would normally be really difficult to move, that would normally just be stationary, but when connected to this huge thing called a flywheel, they start moving, easily. That is what the Christian life is, if I'm understanding the New Testament correctly. The, the, the gospel functioning in your life is getting the gospel going regularly and then strategically connecting the gospel to specific aspects of your life, right? So instead of trying to tackle our anxiety, our lack of love or motivation, and all the rest with shoulds or any one of those strategies we talked about, rather, the New Testament is consistently pushing us to instead get the gospel going in our lives, in our hearts, and then, and only then, making strategic connections between the gospel and the things of life. It's how the New Testament does it. Trust me, read Ephesians, read Colossians, read Romans. Paul, at the end of those books, is going to give the Christians all kinds of ideas of things that they should, should be doing or they ought to be doing. But only after he marinates them in the gospel and its implications, usually to the tune of about half a book. That's his ratio of how much gospel the reader should be digesting compared to what they should be doing out there in the world. I wonder, what, I wonder what our ratio is. I wonder what my ratio is. Okay, so what does strategic 
connection look like? I've got the, I've got the visual here, right? But it's, it's actually a good question. I mean, it's, it's a non-apparent question on the face of it. What does the death of some guy 2,000 years ago have to do with my anxiety, my marriage, my money? Like, what is the connection? Sometimes we have to creatively make the connection ourselves. But thankfully, and we'll, we'll actually try one of those, but thankfully Paul gives us some answers in the back of the book, right? These are examples, and they're all over the New Testament. Read, go home and read your Bible in this way, and I think you'll see it. Um, he gives us some examples so we can learn how to do it. Let's just look at one, marriage. Uh, Ephesians, after marinating those Ephesians in the gospel for about probably three, three of the six chapters, he writes this. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you see that? He makes this connection between a unique gospel implication. See how he frames the gospel? Christ loved the church. He sacrificed. He gave himself up for, your, uh, for, uh, up for her. And therefore, love your wives. Paul, yeah, Paul connects the sacrificial love for a husband, of a husband for a wife, to the sacrificial love of Christ for the husband. In other words, show me a husband who is unwilling to make a sacrifice for his wife, for his family, and I'll show you a husband who doesn't functionally, really, believe in Christ's, the extent of Christ's sacrifice for him. You want to change a, a husband? You don't hit him with the first half of this. You don't say, love your wife. Just be a good person, man. You marinate him in the second half. The first half of all. How about money? Anyone a little slow to want to give away their hard-earned money, right? This is, this is human nature, right? No one wants to do this. So look at how Paul talks about it with the Corinthians. He says, see that you excel in this act of, act of grace, and he's just talking about giving here also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Are there any mark marketers in here or anyone in that world? Look, look at how the gospel has, uh, you know, infinite ways you can look at it, so many benefits, right? But look how he just picks the right one. He positions it. He frames the gospel in such a way that it speaks right to this idea of greed and giving. He just, he just brings out this one implication that Jesus was rich in the most important sense of the word. He had everything. And he gave it up and came down, became poor for your sake that, he might, that you might become rich. Spend some time there. I think I wonder if we would hold our money a little bit differently. That's Paul's gamble here in the New Testament. But what about a situation that doesn't exist in the Bible? I'll spare you guys some details, but I will give you a personal example. Uh, having some, I'm having some neighbor issues right now. Uh, it's nothing crazy, but there is some illegal stuff going on in our shared driveway. My community group uh, knows about this. Um, and with those three kids you saw up there, like, I'm, I'm protective, and I want, I want justice, right? If I'm honest, I want, you know, it's like, I want justice. I want maybe even some vengeance, if I'm being honest. And I want it quick, right? 
So what do I do? Is it, am I just on my own to try to be a good Christian and, you know, soldier on? No. It's the inner work we're talking about. I just found this, this is Paul writing here. He just says, you know, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. He's reflecting on God's patience for him. While he was out killing Christians, God was patient with him. And eventually he would, he would save him. And just like God, just like with Paul, God has been patient with me. Here's, here's how I'm doing it, guys. For years, I completely ignored God. What, what my actions felt like to those around me, what they what God thought about him, what God felt about him. I just ignored that, right? I just did what was good for me, kind of like my neighbor. I just, I just did what I wanted to do. And what was God's response to me? Patience. He just, he just gave me some time, and he loved me in the meantime. He kept moving towards me in love, even while I was thumbing my nose at him, right? Uh, Romans 5.8, while... We were yet sinners. Christ died for us. That's, that's what God has done for me. I'm not even worried about my neighbor yet. So yeah, what, what do I do going forward? I think, yeah, I can, I can let the city know. I probably should let the city know. <laughs> but am I going to sit and kind of do what I've been doing, which is stew and not forgive and just, you know, like try to stomach up some Christian feelings? No. Not if the gospel is working on my life. I can be patient with him, with that neighbor, to the extent that I realize Christ's patience with me. All right, my last slide. This is it. Um, If you guys hear nothing else, guys, the job of the Christian is not to soldier on as you slowly die or wither inside. The inner work of the Christian is to get the gospel into your heart, just like the fly, just like the marinating, just like the flywheel, through repetition, and then it's simply to connect it to the areas of your life that need it the most. Remember, the gospel is the power of God in the life of the believer. The gospel, when active in the lives of Christians, bears fruit and, um, and causes growth. Like a creative marketer sometimes, we got to frame the gospel to point at the thing where we need God's power the most, just like Paul did. So please, we got to stop the willpower Christianity with all its oughts and shoulds. In the long run, you can't give out what you haven't received in the long run. But in the gospel, we've been given everything. So maybe just figure out, we need to figure out a way, hopefully this way, to just dust it off, right? We got to take the gospel out from the shelf, you know, the shelf of trophies there in the attic. We need to figure out a way to take it out, blow it off, dust it off, and start using it in our lives. So in a moment, uh, we're going to sing some, some more songs. We're going to take uh, communion. And what is communion? This is Jesus' invitation to marinate on the gospel for just a second. 
to put aside all the things that you ought to do and just remember. Remember what he's done for you. Remember what it means. Remember his love for you. We don't, you don't have to be a member, so if you are visiting with us, you're welcome. We just ask that you have said yes to the gospel. Yes for the first time, but also you've said yes to continue to try to push the gospel in further that it might bear fruit and that we might grow. So would you guys pray with me? God, you made us. You loved us. Um, And even while we have sinned, we'll continue to sin. You have sent your son, Jesus, into the world. And not just to teach us, but to bear our sin, to take our sin and die in our place so that we might have relationship with you. God, fill us with the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the gospel. Help us connect it, the gospel, which is your power, to all the things that life throws at us. We need your power in our lives. We want that, the things that the Bible talks about. We want the joy. We want peace. We want to love our neighbors. We want to love you. So show us how through the gospel. Amen.